You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good? Did you all have a good beggar's night? Who came up with that name? Let's anyone? Anyone have any of the history of Iowa and beggar's night? Do you really? Okay, real quick, go. You have 10 seconds. Uh. So, oh, that's good. So in the 50s, this has been around since the 50s. I thought the 50s was like the wholesome decade, right? What's going on? You guys ruined it all. Teenagers, my goodness, because none of the rest of us in this room were ever teenagers. We weren't the ones here in the 50s. Most of us weren't. Anyway, um, so uh, I'm going to pick on you guys here in the front row because you chose to see here, which by the way, students, come on, every week, we're just going to proud they're in the front row. So, a few weeks ago, I taught in student ministries, correct? You remember that? I do. Uh, yeah. You do? Whoa, that means you might win the prize. Okay, so here's the test, students. What did I teach on? God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, let's pray. We're going home. Um, I did teach a little bit about God and Jesus, but you guys said it right here. Favoritism in James. So you guys win. That's awesome. Because that was like, that was like three weeks or maybe four weeks ago now. So a few weeks ago, we were talking through this series called Rad and what it means to be a radical believer in Jesus. And uh, Mickey gave me the passage, James uh, 2, 1 through 17, which talks about favoritism. And so I use these illustrations. And so this is not going to be new to you all. So, um, but you guys got it right. So you win a prize later. You get rewarded for, remember, the God thing. It's just, you can't just throw out the God card. So you don't just get a prize for throwing out the God card. Um, but we all have this idea of favoritism in our lives, right? This thing that we get to in our lives. And we're like, I, I, have, I like this more than I like that. Yes? Y'all have them? I mean, it's like I like to listen to Christmas music long before uh, Thanksgiving compared to I don't. I want to wait, right? And so you have those things that are favoritism. So I showed the students some examples of that, um, that we have these, these things of favoritism. So I'm going to pull this out. This is not a Starbucks ad, but Starbucks, if you're watching and you want to give me free coffee for the rest of my life, I'm down. Um, but we have these things that we prefer, things that we kind of run to. And so we use this idea of, of, of what we're more favored to. And this is one of those things that uh, I think has been going on for decades, um, probably since the 50s when the kids were really, really bad, um, that uh, we've discussed, we've debated, and we've wondered about. Right here in these two little things uh, that we show kind of our own thinking, our own favoritism, our own beliefs, maybe, whatever about. And it's all about which one you'd like better. So how many would you like this one better? One, thanks for participating. Uh, This one, anyone? Thanks for participating. Um, There you go. But so we have this debate about which uh, one of these we we should like the most. They used to make commercials about this. Is it Pepsi or Coke? And so, (laughs) oh, now you want to vote, right? You're like, I see what it is. I'm going to vote now. I wasn't trying to trick you. Well, maybe a little bit. Um, So how many of you all are Coke fans? 
Coke fans, there it is. How many of y'all are Pepsi fans? How many of y'all don't care? Perfect. Um, and so we live in this thing, and, and many of us don't care, but there's something about this idea of favoritism. And you're kind of taught, and if you really get into it, you have fun debates about which one's actually better. And so you create this, this uh, thought or belief system about this. Maybe, maybe it doesn't go that deep for those of you who don't care. It's just soda. It's just going to rot your stomach out anyway. Let's not talk about what this will do. Um, but if you need to clean off your battery ports... Right there, seriously, it'll eat through battery corrosion like no tomorrow. If you need to clean a penny and make it look like it just came off the mint, this won't do you anything. This will do a lot. But a lot, here's some fun, fun things about Coca-Cola. Uh, Mexican Coca-Cola, pretty awesome, super sugary, like actual cane sugar, my favorite, swelled in the tall glass bottles. Um, but did you know, I read an article about this, that McDonald's, how many of you guys like McDonald's Coca-Cola? Anyone? McDonald's Coca-Cola is not what's in this can. Did you know that McDonald's and Coca-Cola have an agreement together that they have their own special blend of Coca-Cola just for McDonald's? So if you always wonder, why do you go to McDonald's and the Coke tastes so good there, it's because it's different. It's different than what's in this can. It's different than whatever. And, and I'm, I'm telling you what an article said. So I could be wrong, but don't judge. Um, but there's a sense of Coke has tons of different, like the original Coke, and then they went to the new Coke, Remember when they did that back in, I think, the 90s? They tried to, like, the new thing, and then everyone's like, what are you doing? This is horrible. And then they went back to the original Coke, and they branded it like it was new, but it was 100 years old. Um, but it worked for them. And so you have all of these different versions. Now, in the deep south, Jason Dean's not here this morning. I'm not going to pick on him. Uh, anyone from the south in here, like, legitimately from the south? Okay, we got a couple people from the south. And so in the south, uh, when you ask for a beverage and you go, hey, I want a Coke, um, what's the response for those of you in the South? What kind, right? It's like, it's not a sense of there's just one kind of Coke. It's like, you want Diet Coke? You want Coke Zero, like sugar, whatever Coke? Um, they didn't know you want to know what kind. So then you can say, I want a Coke. Like, what kind? I want Pepsi. And then they look at you really funny and probably kick you out of the establishment. But, um, but you can say, no, I want Sprite or I want them. It is, there's something in the South that I would call an ideology. It's a system of thinking that Coke is all that matters when it comes to beverages in the South. From the South, would you agree a little bit? Yep. And so um, I lived in Atlanta for, I don't know, four or five years, and, and that started to get ingrained in me. Now, I am a flip-flopper, admittedly. I like both and. It just depends on the situation. Um, and so, but there's something about in the South that they have this, this thinking, this system of thinking that Coke is all things. Like everything's Coke. Every, literally, I want a Coke. Can I have a coffee? And you're like, wait, what? No, that doesn't make any sense. But you're, you dive into this thing. And all of this to say, in certain areas and certain cultures with how we've been raised, we are, are taught to believe or culture just, just like innately teaches us to believe that one thing's better than the other. Or maybe there's something that this doesn't even, what is this? Like, no, someone just, this is wrong. They just throw this away. It's like just bad water. This is all that matters. I would say that in the South, especially probably more in the deeper South, that this is really all that matters. This is the beverage of choice. So much so that they'll call every beverage this. And then you just have to distinguish what it is. It doesn't matter if it's coffee or, or Sprite or, or molasses. It doesn't matter. It's just, I just want a Coke or what kind. It's just because the ideology, the thinking is, everything is about this red can. And it just becomes ingrained in us, right? And it just, we have these things. And it's not just about Coke and Pepsi. It's about a lot of things in life. 
that we just have these thoughts and these ideas that become ingrained in us. Here, you guys win. Congrats, well, oh, now which one are you gonna choose? Oh, wow, okay, God wins. Um, <laughs> here, you gotta, uh, anyway, um, and so there's God always wins. Um, but there's these ideas that we have in us that gets shaped by us. And so as we dive into this chapter, the latter part of chapter 10 in the book of Acts, you can flip open your Bibles now if you've got them or open your phones, whatever you have. We're gonna throw it on the screens as two. We're gonna walk through the latter part of chapter 10 and into the first part of chapter 11 this morning. But before we get there, I wanna set that idea that we all have these things that have been ingrained in us. And I think that comes out in these passages today in such a powerful way. And so before we get to the word, I wanna point out so clearly what this passage is about. Pastor Keith did a great job last week kind of outlining this experience and this vision um, that Peter had while he was praying that, that changed some things. And it was about food coming down in the first part of chapter 10 about food coming down into this sheet and it's opening up and God's telling just eat as much as you want. Peter's like, no, I can't do that. That's not how I was raised. That's not what we believe as Jews. We just can't eat things that are unclean. And God said, but don't call things that are common or unclean, clean what I call them focus on what I have to say. So the rest of this passage, I think I've heard this from even a few different life groups I've talked about. That passage last week, that part of chapter 10 wasn't about what was in the sheet. It wasn't about the food. It, it led us to understand Peter's situation really well. It gave us an understanding. He was hungry. And so, yeah, he has a vision about food and God's gonna use what's relevant and current to him to help him understand something new and fresh uh, in what he was. But that's not really what this story, this part of that book of Acts is about. So here's what it's about. It's about the gospel. So grab out your connect cards if you've got one or if you have a journal, you run a right journal or if you're just one of those people who have like mental toughness and you you can just remember things. Let's start with this. I want you to draw these things out for me because as we go through this passage today, I want to draw your attention to the fact that this chapter is about the gospel. Truly, this whole book of the Bible is about the gospel, but there's something in this chapter that we can get a little confused by some things. It's about food. It's about the Jewish way of thinking. It's, it's ideology and what is clean and what is not. It's not about that. It is about the gospel. So let's throw that, that sign up here because I want you guys to see this um, straight up. Where's my gospel? There it is. It's coming. One, two, three. Ha! Um, this is all about the gospel. So draw a circle on your connect card and write gospel right in the middle of it. And let's start this morning out as we dive into the word, focusing on that this passage, this story for Peter isn't about food. It's about the gospel. And frankly, it's not even about people, humans. It's about the gospel. It's about what Jesus did on the cross through his resurrection. That's what it's about. Now, around the gospel, we have all these people that are part of the story. I'm gonna call them humans, right? They're just humans are involved in the story of God's gospel, isn't that great? But the reason I wanna call them humans, as I, th I thought about this, is that they're not just people. Because here's why, I think in some ideologies in our world, some humans aren't considered people. They're not given the, the, the right or the honor or the worth or the value to be called a person for some reason. I'm not gonna get into that, but it happens around the globe. 
that some humans are so devalued they're not even seen as people. But I believe the gospel is all about all humanity. See the distinction? But from here in this story, we're gonna see a few things come out. First is our ideology, a system of thinking. There's a system of thinking. Like in the South, it's about Coca-Cola. There's this ideology, system of thinking that that is all there is when it comes to a beverage. Everything else is just bred out of Coca-Cola. There's a system of thinking that we have in place. And we all have that. We're raised sometimes in systems of thinking. Systems of ideas that get pulled together. Now from our ideologies come straight out. They're so tied together. They sometimes feel as one. They turn into our belief systems. The way that these things are intricately put together lead us from these ideas and the system of ideas to straight up root in beliefs. Things that we, we absolutely hold to that shape everything about us. Now, when they shape everything about us, they're rooted to the core. They naturally create behaviors. So out of the systems of thinking that we have, I'm getting heady on you, sorry. Systems of thinking we have, we create these belief systems that are rooted in us. And then they create these behaviors, these actions about how we live life and what we do when it comes to other humans, when it comes to Coca-Cola, when it comes to whatever, and even when it comes to the gospel. And so I want to walk through these things because here's the, the main point I want to drive home this morning. That God will speak into our lives in a very relevant, personal, and, and perfect way to shape and transform our ideologies, our beliefs, and our behaviors for the purpose of reaching humans with the gospel. Period. And that's exactly what we see in Peter's story. It wasn't about food, although there was an ideology and a belief system that led to a behavior in that for Peter and for all Jews for that matter. And it wasn't just about all the people that, 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 that Peter was called to talk with, the few that came to Joppa to, to find him and to bring him to Cornelius. It wasn't about Cornelius or his family and friends that they gathered, which we're gonna see in a second. It was about the gospel. So straight up as we move forward, let's keep that in mind. Because I think in this, we can get caught up in a lot of things in this chapter and in the next. And think this is about this, that, or the other thing. But when it really comes down to it, it's about the message, the truth, the hope of Jesus Christ. Through his death and his resurrection and his promise to return someday. To bring us into a life eternal with him. And even some of the songs that we sang it's not about your ideologies, beliefs, and behaviors. So maybe these are, are just maybe out of whack a little bit or misunderstood or they're not even there yet. They're not shaped yet. The gospel can shape those things. Maybe in our humanity, we're broken and we're struggling and, and we're just beaten down. We don't feel like we have value or worth because maybe some people look at us and they don't even see us as people. The gospel changes everything. So let's dive into this in chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Got to find verse 23. There it is. And so going back, Peter had his vision. A Cornelius, a centurion sent off his men and they go to find Peter. And Peter is praying at that moment when they come to the door and starting in verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guests 
after being directed by an angel and a spirit to do so. The next day, uh, the latter half of verse 23, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshiped him. But, he, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Hey, we're both human. Let's, let's, let's focus that the story is about God, it's not about us. So let's get that right off the bat straight. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So Peter's recognizing that in this room, he as a Jew has just entered in to fellowship with people that his ideologies, his beliefs, and his behaviors in the past did not allow for. They would be, have been seen as unclean. He was breaking the law in many ways in this way. So he wanted to say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of putting myself out there by being here, but I know I need to be here because God said it to be so. And then he goes on and, and so God has shown, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And right here we see that this is not about food in a sheet. It's about the gospel and it's about how that gospel can change humanity. Verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Kanuya said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in a bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, two different Simons, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. In other translations, it says you are right to come. I love that idea. And ESV doesn't like draw that out quite enough, but you are right to come. When God speaks the right thing, the correct thing, the only reasonable response is to respond and go and do what God says. Now, therefore, we are all here, and I love this, in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Let me pause real quick before we jump into verse 34. Cornelius, a big question, like what's the background of Cornelius? We know a few things about him. We know he was a Roman soldier. He led about a hundred men. He, we know he was, we're gonna see later on, he was well um, received by the Jewish people. He, was a, he would be considered a proselyte believer or, or, or um, a follower of God, meaning he, he wasn't circumcised, so it wasn't a full conversion to Judaism, but yet he prayed and he offered alms um, for the poor. He, he did good things. He looked at God as Lord. He saw God as a higher authority in his life, but yet he wasn't Jewish. He was still a Gentile. He was a Roman, but there's a sense in this that we see his godliness standing out, but he's missing something that's going to come to uh, make very clear sense to him and his friends in just a few moments. So starting in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, favoritism, James 2, you can look that up later, that's awesome. But in every nation, every nation around the globe 
Anyone who fears him has awe of God, not afraid of God, but has awe of who God is and does what is right uh, is acceptable to him that follows after what God calls them to do. And as for the word, verse 36, that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Here we are at the gospel. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were pressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but those who have been chosen by God as witnesses, speaking of the apostles and his disciples who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness for that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is the gospel. Those chunk of verses, Peter's preaching the gospel like with fire, he's bringing it. There it is right in front of you. This is what this is about. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. We've seen this before at the beginning of the book of Acts. When the gospel is preached, Jesus shows up, the spirit shows up in a powerful way when people are receptive to that word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This is so new for the church, the new church. That we're at this point, mostly Jews. And all of a sudden, even though Jesus has said, hey, this is far beyond you, this is the first time they begin to see it come to fruition. This is the first time they see it live in front of their eyes. And they're amazed that the gospel, that the spirit is filling someone that's not of their ideologies and beliefs and behaviors. Someone that's not of their heritage and their culture. It's opening their eyes. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues. Again, we see that happen in the beginning of Acts and extolling God, making much of his name. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people for who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, starting in verse 11, chapter 11, verse one. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in Order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up to heaven again in heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent 
sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction, seeing that they were Gentiles. It did not matter anymore. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa, bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message, the gospel, by which you will be saved, the gospel, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, and I love this, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave that same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? It's one of the smartest things Peter's ever said in his life. Who am I to stand in God's way? And the people that he was talking, the Jews, his brothers, the disciples that he was talking to, they got it. Because when they heard these things, they fell silent. When they heard the truth, when they understand what God's doing, they shut their mouths and they glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles, oh, so God has granted repentance that leads to life. This story is about the gospel. The story is about Jesus taking Peter's and all of the Jews' ideology and belief and behaviors of being Jews. And here's the, here's the weird point, the pivot in this whole idea is that their ideologies and beliefs and behaviors weren't their own. God had given that to them. Live this way to bring glory and honor to my name. So Peter wasn't wrong with what he was taught or what he was raised in. He wasn't wrong with the beliefs that were rooted in him. He wasn't wrong with the behaviors of what he would and would not eat or who he would and would not fellowship with. But God gave him a word that didn't change what he had been taught or what he'd been raised in or what he believed at that point. It expanded it. It grew his understanding of God's plan in a way that led him to believe and know that his life, his teaching, his, his history, his heritage was about one thing, the gospel. And it's not to say that, hey, everything that you've been taught in your life, no matter what your background or your heritage is, is wrong. But God may speak a word that is new to you, that is challenging to everything you've been raised up in and say, I don't necessarily wanna change that, I wanna grow that. I'm not telling you that everything I've taught you before is wrong, I wanna expand on that so you can understand a greater gift of what is right. Now in salvation, our ideologies, our beliefs and our behaviors will very likely change. If we've never grown up with an understanding of God, yes, those things will transform and change, be made new as Paul calls it in the book of Corinthians. But if we're following after God, even to the point of a Cornelius, a proselyte who's not a Jew and has a good understanding of God to, to pray to him and to pray to him at the right hours of the day to follow some of these, these this ideologies and belief systems of the Jews to say, I'm gonna give myself to God in this way. But even that point, he turns and understands a new part. God takes his understanding and his ideology, his beliefs, his behaviors and expands that and says, but it's about Jesus. 
It's not just about when you pray or how you pray or how many alms you give. The gospel is about Jesus, the work of his life, his ministry, his death and his resurrection. It's transformed in him, in his family, in his friends, and the whoever those crowds were that came to hear Peter and to see Peter understand. Yeah, I, mean, I know some things, but God has brought a new word that is growing my understanding of who he is, growing my understanding of what he's called me to. And sometimes we think, uh, just like Peter in our culture in our day, that what we've been taught, what we were raised in, or things that we hold to, that we believe in so dearly, we hold them so tight that even when the Spirit speaks, we won't open our hands up. Because we just, without a doubt, like this has to be a God thing that I, I have this deep-rooted belief in me about this, that, or the other thing. This is what I was raised to believe. Like my parents, my grandparents, their great, 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 great grandparents weren't wrong. Although in the 50s, it sounds like they did some things wrong. <laughs> but we hold to those things and, and too often we just say, now that I know God's done speaking to me, Hebrews 3.14 talks about how the word is living and acting, sharp as a double-edged sword to pierce our souls. How can we hold the thinking and belief system so tightly and believe that God can't continue to speak in them, to change them, to shape them in us, not to, just to, to throw all that out, but to expand our understanding of his goodness and his grace and his love for us. If we hold to the truths of scripture, we have to hold to the fact that we're human. We don't get it all. There's things that we're gonna to continue to learn throughout our lives. They're gonna to continue to shape us, not for us, but for the gospel. And that's what I love about, um, about this whole idea of the gospel and humans and everything else, because the gospel is, is our, how do I write this out? It's, it's, it's about it, it's about who Jesus is and our, the humans is about who we can reach with it and, and our ideologies and our beliefs and behaviors is about how God will use us. It's not how God is necessarily like, I've wired you this way, don't ever change, don't ever shift from how I've wired you, but I'm gonna grow you, I'm gonna transform you because I wanna use you. There's purpose to what God is doing in your life. And here's the thing, it's not about you. Too often times we think it's the self-help mentality of our day and age, especially in America. I wanna shape and make me better. I wanna be a millionaire by the time I'm 33. That didn't work for me. Um, you know, you have all of these things that one breathe. It's not about you. But here's the beautiful thing, that God wants to take you and use you to reach all of humanity through how he's expanding and growing your, your belief systems and your system of ideas and your behaviors to share the gospel through your life. And if you're anything like me and you hear something like that, you're like, there's no way God would ever use something or someone or whatever I see myself as. He would never use me in that way. I'm an absolute broken vessel. But yet so is Peter. We see that throughout Peter's journey and his story, that he's an absolute broken 
doubting, struggling, tempted vessel. Who at one point, you could speculate, didn't feel like he had worth. That he was just following in his father's footsteps and not worthy of being a, 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 a rabbi's disciple until Jesus came along and said, things are about to get a little different, Peter. And all throughout Peter's journey said, hey, Peter, get used to this. Things are gonna be different. To a point to where Peter finally gets to this place where Jesus uh, ascends into heaven and he, people are clamoring about what's happening and he stands up and says, it's time to be different. And then this is the first time we see Peter after that moment. It's been chapters since we've seen Peter in the story of the book of Acts. And here he is once again, jumping into the story and the narrative and it's all about the gospel. A simple man who had the privilege and the honor of walking with Jesus, stepping in faithfully, recognizing it's not about food or what I eat. It's not even about humans, it's about the gospel. Now through what I believe and through about the people that, that Jesus is surrounding my life with, I am being used for the gospel, for his glory, to help other people understand the gospel to shape and grow their understanding and their beliefs so that they too can see the beauty and glory of God and be used for that glory. That's powerful. That is so powerful. And this whole storyline, he challenged like, well, if this is happening, then we gotta continue going after it. If these people are receiving the Holy Spirit, they're hearing the word of God and their lives are being transformed. Let's get them baptized. Let's get them in the water. Nothing's holding them back. Like forget about what all the, the ideologies, beliefs and behaviors we had up to this point. For, for a moment, let's just pause on those things. We'll figure that out as we go. We'll let God, but he's expanded something. There's nothing holding us back. Let's get these folks in the water. Let's celebrate what God has done in their lives. And then to take that story back to the Jews and say, hey, this isn't just about this moment, this experience. I gotta go back. But when people say, what does this mean? That I'm gonna step forward and say, this is what this means. This is my testimony. This is what God has done in my life. You need to hear this. And as a result of sharing his testimony, others came to believe the growing nature of the church, the change of what God was, was shifting and moving the church to become and how he wanted to use them to a point to where they said, this is God. And they responded in worship to glorify God, to extol his name, to welcome in Gentiles into the fold of God's family. The power of testimony. Peter's life is no different than ours. Every one of us in this room have a story to tell. Every one of us in this room can be impacted powerfully by the gospel of Jesus because Jesus came to die for you, but he didn't just die for you. He rose, he beat death for you so that you can have eternal life with him. And while you're here on this earth, he wants to use your story to transform other people's story to help grow their understanding of the nature and the glory and the goodness of God through the power of the resurrection and the cross, and there's not one person in this room that that doesn't mean something for. 
There's not one person in this room that doesn't have the same capacity for influence and impact through the gospel for others. Doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter how you were raised. Doesn't matter what your beliefs or ideologies or or behaviors have been. God will use you when you hear his word and you respond to it. And then you go out and make much of the story of God's word in your life and in others. It's powerful. And so we, we see this going through. Peter's life is being changed for the gospel. All of Cornelius' family, friends, and community with lives were being changed for the gospel. The Jews and the disciples back in Jerusalem, their lives were being changed for the gospel. And yet all the things on the outer end of that circle were growing. Maybe for some were completely transformed, but humanity is still there, but it's all centered around the gospel. And it's a beautiful story that we have. And here's the awesome thing is we gather in this room, we are the church. There's power in the presence of God because people gathered when, when it talked about, um, I forget what verse it's in, but they, they recognize here in the, verse 33, the all here in the presence of God, they're the presence of God because believers started to gather and you recognize the presence in that place because it's like the presence of God is multiplying when we're all coming into this place. And there's the reasons, hey, it's not about church is the way they hear the gospel. It's one of the ways, but we can get outside of these walls and share the gospel at every coffee shop in town. But when we invite people to be a part of what God is doing in the church, they experience the presence of God in a different and unique way. So we invite them into those things. And we get to be a part of that. Isn't that awesome? But how do we prepare ourselves for that? I think Peter went through three things that really shaped our understanding of, of what we can do walking out of this room. Because maybe I need to open up my clenched fist on some kind of an ideology or belief or maybe behavior that I have. I need just to open that up for God and say, God, do with this what you will. But how do I get there? How do I prepare myself? We follow Peter's example. In verse nine, going back earlier on chapter 10, where Pastor Keith was, he was ready. At the third hour, he went to the roof to pray. He was hungry. He wanted dinner, but he's like, I need to go and pray. Peter put himself in a posture to be ready. He set aside prayer, communion with God as an important part of his life, a priority in his life. And we can do the same thing. We can make ourselves ready by by putting ourselves in communion in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus and say, Lord, speak to me. What do you have? And then Peter was receptive. He opened his hands on that rooftop and said, Lord, I'm here. I'm I'm speaking to you. I'm with you. What do you have for me? When, When God said something absolutely absurd to him, he went He followed those words without objection. He didn't question it. He didn't throw his fleece three times. He just said, I just want to make sure you guys are the right guys. Okay, let's go. He was receptive to God's word, even though it made completely no sense to him at the time. But God spoke, he received, and he was there. But then he was also responsive. He actually got up and went. 
And he responded with telling the gospel. He responded not just by showing up, but he spoke the truth to other people. He was willing to put himself out there and say, I'm not sure how this is gonna go, but I know I need to go and I know I need to share the story of the gospel of Jesus to these folks. So as the church, we can do those things too. We can be ready. We can place ourselves in the presence of God, waiting and receiving, being receptive to God's word when he will speak. And then when he does, we're responsive. We take what he says and we do something about it. We don't question it, even when it may not make a whole lot of sense, even when it's changing something we believe for so long that we're, we're willing to say, okay, Lord, I don't fully understand it. I don't fully grasp what you're doing here, but I will respond because you are God and I am not. And this is about the gospel. And if you're gonna choose to use me, why, why would I not do that? Because I wanna be a part of the story. I wanna see what you're gonna do. So church, I don't know where you are this morning. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up here as we respond with this truth, this idea that God is speaking to you. Now, I hear as a pastor all the time, I'm just in a dry season. I just, I'm not hearing God speak to me. And let me encourage and pastor you for a moment. Dry seasons aren't, I think that's just our way of trying to describe that we're not making ourselves ready, receptive, and responsive. It has nothing to do about God speaking to us or not. It's more about where our heart is. And maybe we've been hurt or maybe we just feel, eh, or life is just hard or kids have kept me up till 3 a.m. in the morning or the teenagers are out till 3 a.m. Like, I don't know. But I just feel dry and I feel, ugh. And you know what? Here's the challenge. Make yourself ready. Get into the word as living and acting and breathing word of God and let it speak to you. Living and breathing, that means every time we read it, God is speaking. Now, he may take, be taking his time to help you understand that, but every time you read, God is speaking. So allow God to speak to you and move in you and hold on to this truth that God wants to use you guys to make much of his name to share the gospel in a very powerful and unique way. He's gonna to speak to you in a way that's relevant to you. He gets you. No one else may understand you. God gets you. He wired you, he made you, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He's the designer of who you are. And sure that may have gotten broken by the way, but he's the potter, he's gonna shape it back to be exactly the perfect image of who he is in you because he wants to use you for his gospel. Nothing in this world can snatch you away from his hands when you, you respond to his goodness and his glory. Nothing can change that. But are we making ourselves like Peter, ready, receptive, and responsive? Are we making ourselves ready, receptive, and responsive? And I believe this church so deeply in my heart that when we do those things, when we let go of some of the things that we are so tightly grasped onto and say, Lord, 
I'm not saying that those are wrong. But if you want to grow my understanding of what those are, grow me, God. If you want to use me in ways that I never imagined I could be used, use me, God. If you want to send me to places I never imagined I would go, send me, God. And make that your prayer. You guys do me a favor and just close your eyes, but open your hands. Just as a simple show of your willingness. And maybe you need to start with your clenched fists. And that's okay. Come as you are. But as we sing this song, as we worship, as we give back to God his worth, his glory, his value, his truth, my prayer is that your hands will slowly open. And then whatever you have holding in them, that you will offer them up. I say, God, it's all yours. Grow me. Teach me. Use me. And send me. Will you stand with us and let's worship together?